0: Engage. Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis.
1: And welcome, and I say this wholeheartedly, folks, welcome to 2021. Thomas, 2020 has finally left us Thank you.
0: Yes, let us never speak of it again, please. Yes,
1: and we're going to open up 2021 in style as we speak to just a tremendous singer and songwriter, a guy who uh, you may know from his days with the Grapes of Wrath, Kevin Kane, founder, co-founder of the band, guitarist, vocalist, songwriter, uh, now who happens to also be a member of the Northern Pikes. So uh, we'll hear his story and uh, get into some of the interesting band names that they had. And, God, this guy was pretty creative with those band names, Tom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Some fantastic ones here.
1: Yes. Uh, We'll also hear some uh, classic music from the Grapes of Wrath. We'll hear some new music from the Northern Pikes, who have had a pretty recent album. Uh, But up next, before we talk to Kevin, uh, we're going to take you back to 2020 and, well, no, not the year, but uh, uh, we'll take you back to what was a pretty phenomenal night on New Year's Eve. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis, and you're listening to Sessions. some Honeymoon Suite for you. Tell me what you want. It is brand new. Well, sort of brand new. This was the first single of two uh, that Honeymoon Suite has had off of their forthcoming album, which we don't know when it's going to come out. And I know this because, Tom, on New Year's Eve, we had, amongst many, uh, four of the five members of Honeymoon Suite joining us over Zoom. And uh, I know you had, you had other family plans, so you weren't able to be a part mm-hmm. of it, but I tell you what, we had, oh my God, so the four members of Honeymoon Suite, we had three or four members of Images in Vogue, we had the four original members of The Spoons, we had Carol Pope, we had, uh, uh, well, Kevin Kane from The uh, Grapes of Wrath, we had George mm-hmm. from Harlequin, we uh, had, it just goes on and on and on. It, yeah. On and on. It- like we're talking probably 50 big name musicians, and not just Canadian musicians. Uh, Ed had uh, members of China Crisis uh, join us. It, it was just a phenomenal evening and raised well over $4,000 towards Ronald McDonald House, which was, you know, the the, the perfect end to the night.
0: Yeah, it was. It, I I hated missing it, but with the young kids at home and recovering from surgery, I was I was out of commission by about 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> um, but, you know, I really really missed it and i can't wait to see i know that there's some clips and things coming out of it and you know it's it's the best of events right it's it's giving musicians out there a platform to get out and share their music it's raising money for charity it's it's ticking all the boxes
1: so. it's also uh was really cool to see members of different bands interacting together on the zoom and carol pope came on and we played a brand new song of hers just a phenomenal song. And then you see these other musicians, you know, kind of singing and dancing in the background and then commenting on, you know, how great of a song it was. And to me, that was cool. We had uh, Kevin, the drummer from uh, A Flock of Seagulls, noticed uh, Mike Skill, the guitarist from the Romantics, and just like, oh, my God, it's Mike Skill from the Romantics. And uh, so it was really cool to see all these musicians all together. And the really cool thing is uh, pretty much everyone that was a part of that New Year's Eve show will be a part. Obsessions in the upcoming weeks. And uh, thanks to the wonderful technology of Zoom, we will now have video of all these conversations, which is also very, very mm-hmm. cool. So um, getting back to that New Year's Eve, if you did miss it, if you weren't a part of it, or you were, uh, I'm in the process now of taking the five hours, Tom, <laughs> condensing <laughs> that to about uh, under one hour of video. And uh, it's definitely a challenge, but it will be on its way soon. And for those that weren't able to take part in the New Year's Eve thing, this will give you a chance to kind of experience it. This is a cool way of doing things, Tom. And I think we're, we're going to, you know, in the future, and I think, uh, you know, Ed Sousa and I spoke about this, and you, for those that uh, are going to watch the video, you'll see that you're sporting the Sousa's mm-hmm. T-shirt tonight. Uh, but Ed and I talked Absolutely. about this, and what we're thinking of doing is – For upcoming sessions, Zoom recordings, when we have a big guest coming on, that we say, hey, would you like to be a part of our studio audience, our virtual studio audience? And for a donation to Ronald McDonald House, you can be a part of our studio audience. So, you know, you'll be kind of a guest sitting, watching, being in the Zoom and when, uh, when the time comes, we'll allow you to send questions in. And if we can figure out the technology of actually bringing your audio up, we can actually let audience members ask questions. But I think it's a real cool way to get interactive because with no concerts, that means there's no backstage passes or little parties and get-togethers where meet and greets and all of the such, right? So this is a great way for people to get up close without being close to their favorite musicians.
0: Yeah, really, really exciting, and you know, you're just kind of throwing this on me now as we're speaking. I am. You like that? Yeah, I'm. I'm over the moon. It's amazing for our listeners. It's amazing for the show. That be that. I can't wait to get rolling on this. Yeah, (laughs) and
1: uh, as I said, the the list of musicians that we have coming up over the next several weeks is is going to be pretty damn cool. And you know, like I said, pretty much everyone that was a part of. That night, and you know, one of the, one of the really neat things, and, and maybe we'll talk a little bit to Kevin Kane about this uh, at some point in the conversation, is a lot of musicians had an opportunity to let people hear new music they're making, and hmm. that's one of the most frustrating things for songwriters, whether it be uh, Jean Marc Pisapia from The Box or Johnny D from Honeymoon Suite or whomever it is that has written music over the last 10 years. But whenever the radio plays their song or whenever they play live, what people want to hear, they want to hear the older stuff. And there's got to be a way that we can allow people to be exposed to some of the new stuff. Because there's a lot of great, great music being written by bands that we listened to 20, 30 years ago that nobody's ever going to hear.
0: Yeah, there really is. And, And, you know, the technology is there right now. Spotify or itunes or whatever you have whatever stream, and whatever you may think of them as a musician is one thing but as a listener you, the world is at your fingertips right now and and yeah like honeymoon suites new tune is out of this world that single they dropped in the summer it's amazing right the grapes of wrath the album that they released in 2013 i i, I didn't know about it until we started preparing for this and i've been listening to
1: the thing all day it's amazing mm-hmm. oh and speaking of, and, of new music are fin- you finish your thought
0: yeah, no, that's something I'm actively, I kind of took steps, you know, through my own Instagram and social media, trying to share some artists and stuff like that. And we do through sessions as well. And and I think that's something that, you know, personally I myself, I'm just going to get, I'm going to really try and focus on this year because, you know, it's a hard time right now and people need to be pointed towards some things that can help brighten some pretty dark
1: days, I think. And music's one of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of new music, Tom, uh, one of our regulars uh, who's been on this show a number of times and uh, is doing very well for herself, Sea Magic, found herself uh, was it in Rolling Stone or Billboard? Yeah, yeah, Rolling Stone. Amazing, eh? Yeah. Did you happen to? Re- I haven't read the article yet. Did you read it? I haven't
0: read the article yet. I've got it. I've got it pinned and saved on on, on Facebook, and I got to read it. It's "Music from Around the World," I believe is the is the uh, is the title of the article. But it's like a big picture of Sea Magic right there on Rolling Stone. That's so awesome. We, yeah, yeah, and you know, we've been a fan of hers for almost a year now. Since I mean, you know, you've spoke you you were probably longer. First time I spoke to her was about a year ago now, mm-hmm. and I remember being blown away by her music and blown away just by her personality then and good for her
1: uh, speaking of yeah. female artists again for me to to allow new music into my life it has to be a really good song because right now my my discography you know whether it be in my mind or in my phone <laughs> has so many songs right now that are all incredible songs and as new music comes out i don't throw out old music you know what i mean it has to blend into yep. the mix which means that my playlist uh, you know me being almost 53 years old is a lot bigger than one of somebody who's in their 20s. So uh, for me to allow new it's like maybe getting a new friend Tom, you had to be one special dude for me to make you a part of my friend list. you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, you know what and, and I can and, and I could say the same to you, right and I actually relate it to my own struggle with with mental illness because I got really sick because I'd stopped letting the good things into my life. And, and, you know, every time you come over, I've got a new, I mean, that's what I love about this podcast, right? Or the old days when I actually could come
1: over and make music with you, or you could come over here and make music with me.
0: Yeah. But, but, you know, every time we get an artist on, I'm listening to a new album. I'm listening to new music. Almost every time, even, even people that I know, we get lucky enough to hear new stuff. And that was one of the things that as I started to get better and started to kind of reenter life again, um, I started picking up and it's been one of the most positive amazing forces in my life is constantly looking and searching for new music and it's kind of weird feeling like the only
1: one that seems to be doing it. And and, and the interesting thing is not only am I listening to new music and and you know preparing for this conversation with Kevin Kane, you know I wanted to to mm. listen to some of the new Northern Pike stuff and some of the new Grapes of Wrath stuff and uh, some other solo stuff that he's done over time. But then it got me going deeper into the older discography you know listening to even more Grapes of Wrath stuff so new music that's entering my mind not may necessarily be actual new music and that's the beauty of music there's so much of it that every day you can introduce yourself to something new including stuff that you're writing Tom and you know uh, for those that are are listening to the show right now um, Tom you've come up with some incredible melodies on the guitar and I know that the time is going to come where we're going to put some lyrics to this and, and actually create songs. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I'm really, really excited because, listen, the music industry, it's been horrible. Uh, live music is, <laughs> is, is dead right now. And, and let's hope it resurrects. Let's hope that, you know, knock on wood, 2020, uh, you know, yeah. sees the vaccine working and the numbers going down and things start to open again because I want to get back out and see live music. Having yeah. said that, um, I've probably been as involved in music since the lockdown as I've ever been. Maybe it's because more time on my hands. Maybe it's because I've needed the music to help me get through the times mentally. But uh, making music with you and you know just you know exposing myself to music that I've never heard before has been yep. an incredible time. If I want to take anything out of 2020 and say it was a positive, it would be the incredible music that i've exposed myself to and the incredible uh, songs that i've learned how to play on my guitar and sing
0: yeah and i'm right there with you i mean keep in mind i'm i'm coming from a place where you go back four years i hadn't played the guitar in a decade or even three years yeah so you know yeah 2020 was was a rough year in a lot of ways but you know I'm pretty happy at the you know beginning of the year. Thank you so much for the kind words about you know the my guitar tunes that I've been. I've got like you know twelve tunes that I'm going to package into a, an album. And again, you know what are you going to do with that nowadays, right? But I'm going to do it for myself because I really like them. And 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 when I play them for people, they tend to like them too. <laughs> but it's you know what it, it is that sort of you know we don't know what the what the world's going to bring. We don't know if live gigs are going to happen. We don't know if the music that we're practicing and that we're writing is ever going to get performed. But at the same time, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think I will. I, I don't, we don't really care.
1: Nope. We're, we're still making music. I mean, <laughs> are we making money off that music? No. Um, no. But when the doors open, you and I are going to have, you know, our, our Beatles duo that we've been working on, we're up, upwards now, what, 10, 12 tunes? Right. So yeah, yeah. by the time this lockout ends, we're going to have a full set. So if you're looking at uh, hiring a little duo to play some Beatles one night at your party, your welcome back Bingo. party. Uh, give us a shout. OK, um, we're going to get to Kevin Kane <laughs> in a moment. But first of all, so he spent most of his career as a member of Grapes of Wrath and he's with them again. Um, but he's also been a part of the Northern Pikes. Yet, Tom, the song we're going to hear right now is from neither one of those bands. It is a band that he created back around 2015 called Phono, which is, you know, Phono is another word for a a record, right? A phonograph. It is. But the way Mm. they spell it, F-A-U-X-K-N-O-W. So here's Phono featuring Kevin Kane in on it here on Sessions. Sessions. There's some music called In On It, and uh, the name of the band is a very interesting one, Phono, which is uh, a play on words when you consider how it's spelled. And the, the genius behind that and many other things musically uh, joins us right now. Kevin Kane from Grapes of Wrath, from Phono, and now from the Northern Pikes, and we'll get into all that. First of all, uh, that's a very cool project that you had going on, and I guess what that was maybe about five, six years ago?
2: yeah well um it's a record i did with my wife it's the first time i've ever engineered a record so it was a huge huge learning curve um and all the songs on it are about uh, argentina we went to argentina for our honeymoon kind of a belated honeymoon and all the songs are about that and in on it is about um okay. When, before we went to Argentina, we'd we watched some documentaries and found out that Argentina has a real problem with uh, counterfeit money. Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, even when you go to a bank to get your money exchanged, you you can't be sure that you're not going to get counterfeit money or real money. So we thought, yeah, it seems like everybody's in on it. So that, that's where that one came from. And I think that was that was one of the first songs we completed for the album.
1: Kevin, we uh, we got a chance to meet kind of informally on New Year's Eve being part of that humongous event that Ed Souza put on and for those who were part of it uh we don't have to tell you about what fun it was but uh, Kevin when you're in that room with so many other great Canadian musicians and some that you've you've known personally maybe toured with maybe some you haven't seen in years uh, what was that like to be a part of that
2: was well, kind of neat I mean I I had planned to just come in and say hello and then leave but it was sort of hard to leave, you know, because you're wondering, oh, who's going to be next? Oh, who's going to be next? So yeah, there were, uh, like I, I've we've uh, played gigs with the Spoons before, um, with Prism, with you know a lot of the bands with Chilliwack last summer. So yeah, uh, some familiar faces for sure.
0: You know, it was it was a great way to to kind of say goodbye to a year that I think a lot of people were happy to see the back end of. And uh, it is also a really unique way to get some musicians together and um you know I'm it's something that I'm certainly hoping to see is some outside of the box thinking um you know for for you with any of the projects that you're working on do you have any plans for for sharing your music or or getting your stuff and and your material out there in covid land as it were
2: 2021 <laughs> uh well I've been working on some songs and I I don't know who they're going to land with uh I've got a couple in particular that I I don't know if it suits any of the projects I'm in. So they they may come out soon as solo stuff, I'm not sure. Um, And uh, slowly but surely working on new phono stuff. Um, Pikes and grapes are kind of a little tougher to do, obviously, because we can't get together.
0: Yeah, have you have you been trading files back and forth? I know a lot of bands have been doing that creatively and still working on music remotely. Have you guys uh, had uh, any luck with either of the bands doing that?
2: <laughs> not yeah. not with
0: grapes or pikes. Um, no. uh
2: I, I've done that with other folks though, you know, for other projects. But uh, uh, and and Tom and I have exchanged a few songs back and forth. You know, we we would like to do some new material for grapes, but we uh, haven't got around to it. And uh, as for pikes, we. Um, we had most of an album recorded uh, right when lockdown started. I think we, we just had a few final overdubs and whatnot to do. And then uh, that was back in March and it's been kind of sitting on the back burner since.
1: Well, Kevin, as, as you can probably tell from, from the shirt I'm wearing here to the Ricky and the, the you know, the, the guitars behind me, uh, the Beatles are a big part of, of my life and uh, and of my musical journey. And the first time that I heard Grapes of Wrath. My first thought was, these guys like the Beatles. Like, they are Beatles fans. The harmonies, the acoustic guitars. Uh, Tom and I have been part of uh, a little Beatles duo for the last, well, since the lockdown. And as we're recording and, and working on these songs and, and hearing the intricate harmonies of, of Lennon and McCartney, it, it, it really kind of brought memories, too, of, of listening to Grapes of Wrath. And how influenced were you with Lennon and McCartney, not just as songwriters, but as harmonizers as well. Uh, they were huge,
2: and uh, Simon and Garfunkel were really big mm. for me and Tom as well. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. We, we, we don't really. We, we've never really s- ever talked about it. We, we just, we, we just go in and sing. We, we've never considered. Oh well, you know, if you do this or whatever, we, we, we really haven't overthought it.
1: So that harmonies just come natural to you as you one of you will bring a melody and then the next one will just add a harmony and you don't kind of break it up and say well you do the third here and maybe i'll like it it just happens that's beautiful
2: we've never talked about it honestly i mean maybe we'd be better if we did talk about it but we we just kind of take a natural approach to it
0: so it's just is it completely off the cuff like one of you will one of you will lay a harmony down and there's very little thought to it or is it like is well, we, we think there? about it but but we 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 don't talk
2: about it i mean um you know like if it's one of tom's songs and i'm coming in to do a, a harmony part on it um you know he, he he might say he might say oh could you go to this note instead or whatever or or i'll try something he goes you know what i like that i like that do that one um But uh, yeah, we, we, we don't really talk theory or anything like that. I, I, I guess it's because we are such Beatle fans and whatnot that, that it's, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just kind of doing what we grew up on.
1: Mm -hmm. It just, it, yeah, it's just natural. And I remember, you know, all the interviews that the Beatles did back in the day when they were asked about how they, you know, you created this new sound, you've come up with this new beat and they're like, we're just doing our thing. And, if, if it, it is this, then wonderful, but we didn't go out purposely trying to create it. It sounds like Grapes was a very organic thing for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we we started hanging out because we were Beatle fans. Um, the first time I saw Chris and Tom, I think I was in grade five, and there was a, a Saturday matinee of uh, help mm. at, at the local theater. And uh, I went with my brother and a friend of mine, and Chris and Tom were there. And uh, they were the only two, like we were the only people in the theater, you know, a theater that would hold like 500 people. And there was like five kids there. Um, so that was the first time I saw them. But then when I started high school, uh, junior high and grade eight, uh, Chris wore a Beatles shirt to school. And so I just went up and started talking to him. I said, yeah, you're that guy who's at that uh, matinee of help. Right. And uh, it was just like, boom, we were friends from that moment on.
1: Any chance you still have that black Ricky in your collection? I just sold it. No. How dare I ask how many thousands of dollars that thing went for? Because I'm I'm desperately in the market for one of those. Uh, it went for thirty nine. Oh wow, Tom, you gonna lend me thirty nine hundred bucks? I'll buy myself one of those.
0: Yeah, let me just check my wallet.
1: How about we trade your Paisley Strat behind there, and we'll we'll. <laughs> I have
0: to trade a few of them. I think
1: you can you can figure out something. Yeah, we'll figure out something. Okay, I I want to talk about kill pigs and um and you and you and the uh hopper brothers i mean have a history and while i uh, sorry the hooper brothers and and while grapes of wrath was where people really got to know you kind of across the country here uh you were already making music with these guys before so how did that all form and and you know kind of like that split and then back together for grapes eventually
2: well we started playing together when Chris and I were in grade eight and Tom was in grade six and he, he got a bass. I think this around the summer between grade six and seven. So, and, and he had an electric guitar. I didn't actually own an electric guitar. I played bass at that time, but then I switched to guitar and would play his guitar and then he played bass. And that's sort of where that started happening. And we were, um, and we, we would attempt to play British invasion songs like kinks and who and, uh, and Beatles stuff. And, um, and then when punk rock happened, um, I remember uh, there used to be a, uh, what was it now? It, it was like a, a top 40 radio show on CBC every, I think it was every Wednesday night. And, and they would just go through the Canadian charts and whatnot. And uh, my brother and I used to listen to that. And part of the show is they used to have uh, Paul Gambaccini's Letter from London. And he was a, uh, a rock writer living in yep. London. I, I think he was an American. And one week, he's he said and you know the record that's that's top in the charts they can't even print the name of it on the chart or whatever that it was god save the queen and we had a little phillips you know one the the earliest tape recorder with a microphone oh yeah hit record held the mic up to the clock radio and we recorded it and it was just you know like <sighs> like but that was good enough to change my life and um we listened to the tape over and over and we're just like, this is incredible. Um, and then I remember I took the tape over to, uh, Chris and Tom's house and, and I said, here it is. This is the sex pistols. And we, we all just, you know, (laughs) there was no going back. We, we all embraced it immediately. And that's, that's when we started writing songs as well, because, um, we knew we could never write songs as good as the Beatles, but, uh, you know, writing songs as good as, uh, well, dare I say wire or something like that we thought oh, we can write songs like this sure and and that was kind of a kick in the pants to uh to get it going
1: they they followed the punk thing though for a while and you kind of left and then came back so what made you decide to leave and what brought you back to the guys um
2: I I wasn't as into punk rock anymore um I I got I started getting into joy division and and uh Susan the Banshees and Wire and Echo and the Bunny Men and, and that kind of stuff. And Chris and Tom were getting a lot more into the American uh hardcore scene. Um so you know, Black Flag and and uh and those types of bands. So um I formed a band with uh with our friend Daryl Newdorf, who actually he, recorded the last grapes album that came out in 2013 or whatever it was. And um, you know, I've known him over the years. He's done a number of records, like my records. I worked on albums with him and whatnot. Um, So he and I formed a band called empty set and his sister was the singer. And we got a friend of his uh, from church to uh, play bass. And uh, yeah, we did that for a couple of years. And then that took us to the end of high school. And then, Right at the end of high school, Daryl got offered uh, the drumming, the drum stool in 5440. So right after high school, he moved to Vancouver and joined 5440. So that was the end of Empty Set, and um, and then I went to college, and Chris and I were both in college taking fine arts. And then I think it was the spring of '83, Chris called me up and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Nothing." He goes, "Do you want to come over and help us clean out, um, clean out our dad's garage, and we can turn it into a jam space?" I said, OK, there was never any talk of us actually playing together or forming a band or whatever. I just went there, we cleaned it out and we brought our instruments in and we just started playing.
0: Yeah, we don't really talk about things. <laughs> I think <that's> <laughs> so it's so how long from place. how long from that first sort of, you know, inauspicious, uh, you know, jam uh, until you guys were playing in front of an audience? Oh, uh, let me think.
2: Months. I I yeah. think our first gig was like five months later. I I, I think we we booked a hall and um, yeah. And I do remember the, the the reason we sort of decided to play together was uh, there was a punk show in, in uh, Kelowna. I think in in it was 82, 83, I don't recall, but uh, Chris and Tom and I somehow decided oh let's go play a bunch of cover tunes and be on the bill so we did and we, we were doing like gang of four songs and I, I don't recall what all else and we were called honda civic and uh, another great name yeah it was a good name <laughs> i don't think we wouldn't been able to hold on to it for very long though no yeah. um so that was kind of the precursor to grapes and then yeah but i it feels like it was just that we would rehearse a couple of times a week and we were writing songs real quick through the summer and then that fall I think it was in September, the first weekend of September, last weekend of August or something like that. It was in August. Uh, I booked a hall in town, and and we rented a cheap PA, and we went and put on a show.
0: How quickly was it apparent that you guys were on to something special? I mean, did you know before your first show that this was something that was going to play well with audiences? Or, you know, no, you not a clue. I, well, it didn't play well with, with it.
2: audiences. It, no. we, we did not go over well at all in Kelowna. And, but it was just what we wanted to do. We just... We put our heads down and we, we just blundered ahead.
1: And the thing is, back then, you probably weren't as aware of the history of great bands having a hard time getting signed. I mean, there's so many documentaries and books out right now. You read for everyone from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to the Beatles having that whole are we ever going to make it thing. So as you're going through it you're probably thinking, "Oh shit, this this could be, you know, this could be pretty crappy." But what kept you guys going? What kept you motivated to to keep pushing forward and making sure that this was going to succeed? Well, that that was never
2: our goal. We, our success was never our goal. We we figured we were going to fail, but we just wanted to have a little bit of fun in the meantime. <laughs> and you know, the, we we didn't have any game plan obviously. Uh we we just played played our first show um then then we played at at the uh college in in one of the fine arts things it was like they called it the beaux arts ball i guess it was an end of the year thing the next year and i remember we played that and that was really fun and then we started entering battles of the bands in the okanagan because that was the only way we could get on stage and Mm -hmm. we did not do well or go over well um so but but the other thing is I, i was working um I was working at night at the time and uh, uh, at a CBC uh, affiliate, Kelowna, and I would uh, try and find his gigs. And this was back before the internet and uh, people's phone numbers were a hell of a lot easier to get. Like they would, you know, I, I still remember we got reviewed in uh, in the Rocket, which was a Seattle paper and they put my mother's phone number. If you want to contact <laughs> the band, and it's my mom's phone number. Wow. And, and the A&R man for Atlantic Records in New York called us like he called my mom's phone number because that's how you (laughs) reach so yeah it was kind of a a weird time but we we really weren't thinking we'd ever be on a major label or any of that stuff because you know we we had the punk rock attitude we thought okay if if we want to put out a record you know let's do our our four best songs i found cheap studio time in vancouver we we did our first ep in two eight-hour sessions and um and then we were going to put it out ourselves we we certainly weren't thinking of getting a record deal or demoing or anything and the guy who was mixing the record uh greg Reilly, had just mixed a record uh by a band called MOVE and it was the first record to come out on network uh the network label was started by MOVE, the band because they needed a way to put their records out because they couldn't get a record deal um anyway greg passed a cassette on to terry mcbride and we were at a record store in Vancouver that Terry worked at and Terry put our tape on and I went running over to the counter. Hey, where'd you get this? It's like, what's going on here? And he said, yeah, I had a feeling it was you guys. And he said, are you interested in having a label put your record out? And that's sort of where that
1: all began. You guys were on the cusp of what was such a huge scene from Vancouver. And for those of us that are watching that were part of the Ontario scene back in the eighties, You know, a lot of the bands knew each other, but it was a little more cutthroat. There wasn't that bond of brothers and sisters, as it were. Uh, What made the the Vancouver scene so special? And maybe, am I being naive, was there a lot of that cutthroat? Yeah, because I I hear so much about bands that have had members play in numerous different bands, whether it be, you know, Chilliwack, and then you got the Headpins and so many interactions going on. But it wasn't this big, warm, fuzzy feeling between the bands? Well, I mean,
2: you're, you're talking about bands that were kind of like the generation before us, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was buddies with a lot of musicians, I, mean, I used I used to go out four or five nights a week to see my friends play. I was always out, you know, seeing shows and whatnot. But um, there, there really wasn't that that kind of exchange of members, that that kind of interplay. That um, I, I we always had the impression that in Toronto musicians were a lot more willing to play with each other than, than <laughs> in Vancouver
1: mm, no <laughs> not the case either. I guess the music business is the music business right pretty much
2: it is what it is and and I'm, I mean drummers will often be in a few bands because people always need good drummers and then and then they'll they'll stick with the band oh. that takes off first I guess mm-hmm. um but yeah very often with singers and and songwriters you can't be in more than one band and and you know, we, we did really want to put all our eggs in that basket. And it felt like that's what everybody was doing, whether it's 5440 or Sons of Freedom or or whoever, you know, bands were, if your band was going, that was your, that was your focus. But of you course, know, you know, it's a, I spread myself thinner.
0: That's exactly what I was about to actually ask about, because now you've got an entirely different approach. Yeah. And um, do you, do you see that, is something that's really changing in the music industry as we go along is that people are just getting out there and just trying to work with as many people as possible, more so than it was back in the day.
2: There is no music industry, uh, anymore. It's like, I'd say 5% of what it once was. Um, uh, you know, there's no magazines, radio isn't the force that it was. It's, it's really, really, really shrunk down. And, um, and, and you know now the fact that people can record records at home or whatnot um I, you know i've played on a few records where people send me files and i, I can record it at home and I, I send them off um i think that makes collaboration a lot easier
1: well thank god we have that in 2020 or there probably would be no music being made at all because you think back to what we had in the 80s um yeah sure you could possibly sit with a little four track and record your parts and then mail the tape to one of the other guys and he could do his parts but really i mean you need to get everybody in a studio together back then so i mean you know do do you miss some of the old days i'm sure you do but uh, in 2020 i'm bet you're glad you had the technology we have
2: well i'm certainly glad to have the technology because i've got a you know i've got a studio in in my house i've got i've got a studio in my pocket you know it's like the technology now is is pretty insane um you can do records on phones. And I, I'm sure many people have just, just to prove a point. Uh, the last Northern Pikes album, uh, Forest of Love was recorded old school style. We went to a studio uh, in Calgary at the, uh, what was it called? National Music Center. Yeah. NMC. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they had a really great state-of-the-art studio. And we did it old school style with, with an engineer and we played live off the floor and all of that stuff. But that that is less and less common
1: when you guys recorded your first album September bowl of green um now is it true that on the vinyl version there was a cover of if i needed someone by the beatles
2: yeah on the on the first uh release by um by network and then when um when capital reissued it uh the president said yeah it, it's really not a good idea to cover the beatles and and, so okay.
1: You know, they were on Capital in Canada too, so I guess that was part of it. But when you do record, because even to this day I still don't know if I have a clear understanding of when you record someone else's song, what kind of process goes into that? Like and, and back then are you just saying, Well, what the hell we're we gonna record? It's a great song and whatever happens, happens after that, or is there that process where you actually have to get permission? uh we didn't have to get
2: permission or at least we didn't know how to we just recorded it and i don't know i didn't do the paperwork um i, I believe the record label has to set aside a certain amount of money for mechanical royalties um and we weren't changing the song i i, I think you can be turned down if you want to change the song like change lyrics or whatever mm-hmm. but uh, we were just doing a straight up cover and you know um the
1: beatles have been covered before <laughs> So, you uh, that that ended up being like an EP, right? And then the album that, though, was, that was an you... album. Bowl of, Bowl of Green was an album. Uh, the EP
2: had four originals on it, and then oh, okay. uh, Bowl of Green was the one with uh, "If I Need Someone." And it was it was a song we were doing live. So I mean, we did a few covers as encores and stuff. And I I'm not sure why I exactly we decided to do it. I guess just because we liked the song.
1: Treehouse comes out, and your first big hit with uh, "Peace of Mind," and it's something that. You know, we. I still love hearing that song, and and I'm 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 just curious. I'd love to kind of get into the heads of songwriters, and, and just recall maybe the process of of writing that song. Was it something that you know one of you had this inspiration for and got together? Was it a uh, an organic jam? How did that song come about?
2: That one I remember clearly. I'd gone to a, a Christmas party uh, in Vancouver, and then I came home. It was like pretty late at night, and I was drunk, and I, I had the house all to myself. My roommates were out. And the next morning I was leaving uh, to go back to Kelowna for Christmas. And I just, I remember I just picked up a guitar and, uh, and the guitar part just came out almost fully realized. It, it was one of those songs where, where it, it was pretty together. Um, and then, and then I wrote the lyrics uh, kind of about my Christmas, you know, in Kelowna, and then uh, when I brought it in to uh, Chris and Tom on the uh, on the first rehearsal we had after the holidays, um, uh, Chris pointed out that one note in the melody made it sound like another song, so I changed that note, and the, then we started rehearsing it, and it came together really quick, and we were really excited about it, and then uh, and then when Tom Cochran came out, I think we started doing the record in February or March or something, and he he wasn't as excited about it as we were because he'd had the demos of the album and he was like, okay, this is the album. And he'd already made up his mind what the album was and what he wanted to project, you know, of the band and whatever. So, so this was kind of throwing a wrench in the works, but you know, he was a good sport and we did this. He said, okay, fine, we'll do the song.
0: And uh, that ended up
2: being our first single
0: on Capitol. after After how it, after how it turned out, how does he feel about the song now? I don't think he has any
2: problem with it. Um, <laughs> like I, I, just realized, you know, in having produced records myself, it's like, if, if you go in kind of with a game plan, you're like, okay, I know how I can do, deliver this record on time and on budget. And then the band says, Hey, we got a brand new song. It's like, okay. So, you know, I guess I'm going to have to hear this and we're going to have to deal with it.
1: Then, uh, the end of the eighties and I'm going to grab it here. Cause that's a rare, rare vinyl copy. And, uh, you know knowing it's the, it was the late 80s i i had to search for this baby look it's still got its original shrink wrap on it and everything but uh just a phenomenal album now and again uh first of all great great photo um i did not know it rained in bc <laughs> it rains
2: <laughs> constantly vancouver yeah that that for me that was the hardest part of vancouver although looking back there's other things that were hard but um yeah basically from November through April. It's it's just gray and rainy the entire time. And there we go. So I mean, because of that, we thought we thought, how perfect. Great. You know, we I think we actually made grapes wrath umbrellas at some point as a merch nice. It it's yeah. so Vancouver. <laughs> and the uh, the cover was done by uh, William Claxton, the, uh who was famous for having documented uh the New York Jazz scene in the 50s when he was just this kid. Um but he's super tall, and so that helped him get really great shots mm. in the clubs because he he towered over everybody else.
1: Well, let me ask you one more question about about now and again because, uh, you know, coming off the success of Peace of Mind, you have this album come out, and you've got really three singles that that were getting tons of airplay. You're getting your videos played on Much Music all the time, for a guy who didn't start out to want to get that kind of success. Because um, I had a friend that was a musician, and he. Uh, was also not one that got into it for success. And when a little bit of success came his way, uh, he fritted it away because he didn't know how to deal with it. So when you're not expecting it and it comes, how do you guys react to it? Uh, well, not
2: great. Uh, you know, look, looking back on it, um, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I, I didn't, you know, I'm not saying I went crazy and, and got into drugs and whatever, whatever, but... Um, you know, for, for three for three unpopular kids from a small town who were always getting made fun of and beat up uh, and chased by bullies and whatnot to all of a sudden, uh, you know, being, being a band that is suddenly popular or, or becoming popular, we, we didn't really know how to deal with it or, or
0: what was going on. Did you ever really learn during the band's first incarnation? No, <laughs> of course not. I uh,
2: I saw a documentary on the Bee Gees once, and uh, and they call it First Fame," and they like because they had their initial success in the '60s, mm-hmm. and and then uh, uh, Robin quit the band, and and you know they they kind of went through some tough times. They they almost completely ground to a halt, and then they got back together and realized you know their strengths, and they said by the time. They they got some success again in 73 or 74, whenever Jive Talking came out. Uh they approached it a hundred percent differently. Kevin they didn't I, realize how lucky they really are that nobody's entitled to to anything like that. And uh and you know, it just we were in the right place at the right time and it just started happening.
1: And yeah. Kevin, there is this misconception that You know, rock stars are the coolest dudes in the world when for many, they are kids like yourself that that had issues, got bullied, you know, weren't the the cool kids and turned to music, A, as as a way to kind of save yourself and B, to make yourself popular, right? And I, I know myself personally, I never had the success you had, but I got into music because I needed an escape. I needed something that would not let me down, something that would not beat me up. Right. And and music did that for me. How important was that for you? And and is music the reason why you're here today kind of thing? Well, it's certainly
2: the reason why we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, it it was everything to me. Um, You know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of friends at school and. yeah, I just spent hours every day in my bedroom, listening to records, um, my, my brother's younger than me, but he got into music before me. He got into records in like grade one, and and there was a, another kid in grade one, and they would swap like Zeppelin and Deep Purple albums and stuff like that. So, I I kind of got through into music through him, and yeah, once once I got into music, uh, I didn't care about you know never getting picked in soccer or or I didn't care about you know not having friends as much. I was uh, I had a friend. I had I had my guitar
1: when did you see things start to change for you as far as being kind of the outcast to being someone that people want a piece of you, people want an autograph, people are buying your music.
2: Well, much music, much music changed it all. Um, Yeah. Just the fact that we were on TV and again, TV used to mean something different. Like now, you know, with the internet, I don't I don't think TV has the same power, but the media had a lot of power back then. And and much music was was kind of like this national radio station that would put people's faces, you know, right there for the audience to see. So, yeah, we we right away noticed the, the much music impact. <laughs> the much music bump. Yeah, it, it was it was huge for us um, when we did our first video. They were starving for Canadian videos. And you know, then we did this video. So out comes this band from the West Coast that 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 look and sound like they're from England. And uh, it, it just happened to tie in perfectly with uh what much music
0: we're uh, looking for. Well you did, and it was something that I, I remembered from my childhood. There was a, a contest that much music ran with you, if I'm not mistaken, for a fishing trip.
3: Oh yeah, with yeah. The band in the <laughs> yeah you that
2: would get to go no that was kind of gross the label put up the money capital put up the money for the fishing trip and the contest and whatever and they said but only two of you can go so I you know I didn't want to argue about it and I said okay fine I won't go whatever and then I found out that the the dude from the label a, a guy from the label got to go and he got to bring a friend oh, shit. so that, that was that was kind of the beginning of my bitterness about things I thought wait a second you know is
1: that how the song fishing Tale" came about no it was the other way around that was, that that was the was a way to promote fishing okay uh, okay 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 um you know like the beatles you guys did not keep your sound the same you decided that you needed to progress. you needed to grow and and the acoustic stuff was was phenomenal but then these days come out and there's some really great guitar work there there's kind of that psychedelic feel to some of it uh what went behind that, and was that just a natural progression for you guys?
2: That was because we'd spent so much time on the road. Uh, with now and again, we we toured the U.S. and it, <laughs> our U.S. tour was 14 weeks straight. I think we played 67 shows in in one run. And uh, yeah, playing playing rock music with electric guitars every night, you you know that's what you become. Uh, the acoustic stuff wasn't really. As much of a factor uh when we were, you know, touring the states, playing bars every night. What's like I think gig- in total on on uh, Treehouse, we we must have played like about 120 shows at wow. least.
1: If you were to pinpoint the most memorable gig, w- would there be one that would come to mind that you'd say that was the greatest musical night of my life, kind of thing? Mm, no, no, really.
2: There, there's lots of there's lots of good shows for different reasons, Uh but I I, I couldn't pick one because, like, I, I realize I, I've played in the thousands of shows. So.
1: Okay, so then this would be easier to answer. The biggest gig disaster. Oh, come on. You've never had an amp blow up or... Well, yeah, but you always get through it.
2: Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've... Like, the biggest gig disaster near disaster was we played in london ontario at something called i think it's called balloon fest mm-hmm. and they would have yeah, like air balloons right. and stuff and uh right after we finished our set like it was getting pretty windy when we were playing and i was like this isn't good and <laughs> then i remember we left the stage and i was sitting on the motorhome and five minutes after we finished playing the wind blew the uh, lighting rig down and it crashed down where i was standing and this oh. was this was within months of that same thing, the same incident happening to Curtis Mayfield mm-hmm. and paralyzing him. So, yeah, yeah just thinking about it, I'm, I'm kind of freaked out. The same thing happened in Kelowna a few years ago with Northern Pikes. We were playing a show, outdoor show, and it started to get windy. And and I remember I was looking at the guy saying, we've got to get off the stage. This is not good. And as soon as we ran off the stage, the lighting rig blew and landed on top of the drums. It would have crushed on. So, wow. you know, th- those are memorable I guess they're not happy memories. No.
1: Well, I asked you to give me a happy memory, Kevin. You couldn't. I guess being alive is a
2: happy memory. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, there were lots of shows that were good. I My favorite shows were probably when we were touring uh, in Europe. We, we opened for Lloyd Cole and we opened for a band called Texas. And mm-hmm. what I liked about those shows is they didn't know who we were in Europe. And you know, so it wasn't like when we played Canada where we would where hit a town and they knew who we were because of much music and whatnot. As far as the Europeans go, they had no idea who we were. And um, and there were a few shows that were really great. Like, in, we played Paris, a 9,000-seat venue. And when we did all the things I was not a song nobody's ever heard, it was a sea of lighters. Mm. Like, like, they all knew the song. So there were a few incidents like that that happened in Europe where people really got into... Uh, gone into our music simply because they liked what they heard coming off the stage. And and
0: those were probably my proudest moments. Actually kind of going along that same line, where, where have your favorite audiences been? Has it, has it been Europe or is it Canada or is it the? This-
1: oh, now you're going to get him in trouble with his. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I,
2: it's kind of fun to play to an audience that's very far away from where you live and they don't speak the same language as you. And, and if you make a, a connection musically, that can be really great. Um, but yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say there's anywhere that I've got my favorite audiences. We I've had good shows in most places at some point or another over the past 35
1: years. And, and Kevin, I mean, every good thing has to end. So, you know, the time comes where Grapes of Wrath are split up. Let, let me ask you, was there ever any issues as far as using the name? Because that was such a huge book, right? I mean, what happened as far as the name goes? Oh, no, no. There, there was no issues that
2: way because um, the, the, the phrase, The Grapes of Wrath, it actually comes from an old hymn. I think it was from the 14 or 1500s or something like that. So it existed as an expression before the book. She's also, the... the book was over 50 years old at the time that we took the name. So,
1: yeah, there, there wasn't. There was some litigation with the name, though, wasn't there?
2: Never. Oh, no, okay. oh like between us as a band. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, they wanted to continue using the name uh, after kicking me out, and I said no, and so <laughs> then they became Ginger.
1: Nice. Okay, so now, I mean, you you've you know reconciled with the guys, you've played again with them, but more recently you have joined Northern Pikes, and I listened to the album uh, "Forest of Love" and the single uh, "King in His Castle," and to me when i hear that i'm like this is the perfect mix to me this is like if they were ever going to find a new guitarist kevin you just seem to be the perfect guy to fit in there Uh, was that the kind of the (laughs) yeah like and 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 i never connected the two bands together until i heard you with them and i went oh yes northern pikes you know grapes of wrath there are a lot like they are kind of like related in some ways aren't they
2: well, yeah, we, we always felt that we were kindred spirits because we both came from Western Canadian towns that weren't known for having produced bands, you know? We we, we weren't... Uh, like, everything seemed to come out of Toronto. At least that was the impression that we always had, or through Toronto, at the very least. Um, and actually, the first time Grapes ever played outside of BC, like, play playing another Canadian province we right after our EP came out we were asked to play some um, uh, college radio event in Calgary and uh, so they we went out there on the train because at the time flights were too expensive and Greyhound would have taken too long so we we took a 23-hour train trip and we arrived in Calgary and we're just completely wiped we hadn't slept you know in two days and the promoter immediately takes us to show us the hall we're going to be playing And the Northern Pikes were up there playing and they were playing, I will follow by you two in front of 20 people. What? And yeah. And we stood there watching them and they had so much energy, especially Merle. Merle was like, he, he was, you know, doing, uh, like we'd crouch down and jump up and just like dancing. And it was just like so much energy. And, um, and and that the promoter brought us in and said oh would you want to go backstage and meet them they're really great guys and we said they look like they've got more energy than we can handle we we need to sleep we need to sleep now you know it's like don't don't try and drag us into some party situation or whatever so we kind of missed our chance to meet them then and uh i didn't i don't think i actually met the band until uh grapes had broken up and then tom and i were doing grapes again in 1999 and we played a few shows with the pikes at that point that was the first time that we'd ever uh talked to them
1: so how did it become a thing that you were joining uh
2: that happened because i was at a guitar store here in toronto and uh brian came in and he recognized me because well we i think we played a few shows since then grapes and pikes and um we had the same agent and we just started chatting and. uh, We realized we lived blocks away from each other and then Brian said he was just about to put out a solo record and he's going to do some solo shows and he asked if I wanted to buddy up with him and uh you know maybe maybe we'll do two sets separate maybe we'll play whatever we didn't know so we got together and uh and started jamming at this uh rehearsal space that Brian used to rent and you know as soon as he showed me one of his songs I start playing along and you know same when i play one of my songs he start doing some things or play or sing some harmonies and we we really liked doing that and the other thing we did was we didn't listen to each other's records we didn't go okay i'm going to learn the parts as per the record we just kind of did it uh so the harmonies and the guitar parts i i sing on brian's record or brian's songs are different than what's on his album he does different stuff on my songs and and uh so we started playing shows like that, and uh, then we we were just calling ourselves Brian Potman and Kevin Kane. And then uh, Brian suggested we come up with a project name, so we called it Kane and Potman. We did a live album out in Victoria at a house concert, and then we did a studio record here in uh, Toronto. And that's how that kind of came about. Because then later on, the Pikes were were looking to do their uh, Big Blue Sky 30th anniversary tour in uh, 2017, and they didn't want to go out as three piece they wanted they want to flesh out the sound so i was brought in as a hired guy for that and basically I, I think a week or two after the end of the tour they said do you just want to be in the band i'm like okay sure yeah <laughs> do i <laughs> yeah. yeah it was a really fun tour uh you know they're i'm really lucky to to get to play in two bands that, and again, they have their similarities, but they also have their differences, so.
0: You know, it's funny, I, I could ask an unfair question and ask you which one you like better, but it, it, I, I won't. It actually brings up a, a question. We were talking much earlier in the interview uh, about the engineering you work that you did on the release with your wife and, yeah. um, and, and the different hats you've been wearing. And is there one, you know it, be it an engineer producer a writer a performer if you could only wear one where your heart's at where where is it uh i really like performing but
2: i can't really do that anymore uh it's not these days um i, I like playing my instrument the most um but these days also i do guitar i do guitar repair and i quite enjoy that as well That's kind of like a contemplative you know geppetto sort of uh mindset where i'm at you know the workshop and just puttering away just trying to make a guitar play as well as i can so
1: can i hand you can i hand you my ricky through the computer for you to uh set up for me
2: i i am i specialize <laughs> in those, uh, oh, those uh difficult things yeah
1: i don't know don't. if we could quite do that kevin i, I just don't it'd be, it'd be nice to be able to uh, it's interesting just to kind of piggyback what uh, you and Tom were talking about and about having your instrument and how has writing changed for you over the years, as opposed to, you know, back in, in the eighties, when, you know, you were in grapes and we were talking about the process of writing, uh, you know, one of your earlier songs, what is it like for you today? Is it, is it exactly the same kind of process for you?
2: It's completely different because back then uh, I was in a band and we were signed to a record label and there was a record industry and there was radio. There were all these incentives to write songs. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, none of those incentives are there other than, other than my love of music. Um, it, it, it can kind of become harder as, as you get older to write songs because you don't want to keep rewriting the same songs. I, at least I don't. And, um, I don't know. I mean, i I've heard it said that, that, all anybody ever has in them is a few songs and they just kind of rewrite, you know, do different versions of it or, or update it or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't really have that incentive to crank out a bunch of songs that, you know, are just going to sit in a pile, I guess. I do have a few, I've written a few this year, but, um, or last year, but.
1: Uh, well, it's interesting. Cause when you look back at what got you into writing songs, which was, just the love of doing it and not worrying about how it's received and nowadays and it's an unfortunate thing in the music industry is that whatever you hear on radio whether it be you know FM radio or, or satellite radio when you hear you know northern Pikes or grapes of wrath you're going to hear the old stuff you're not going to hear the new stuff I, I'm reading uh, Brian Wilson's biography now and he's talking about you know in the mid-2000s and writing what he thought were some of his greatest melodies and lyrics and Nobody will ever hear them, and it, it's kind of interesting how I mean, as you get older, like you see, you may only have so many great songs in you, but you probably become a better overall songwriter the more you do it. But the less people are going to hear it because they're so attached to the original stuff, it's got to make you pull your hair out sometimes as a songwriter. Well, um, I, I mean,
2: I, I, I really have a lot of respect for the, that that kind of initial rush of youth you know there, there's there's a, a naivety of, of young songwriters that's really great i mean like that's why we still we still listen to records recorded by people when they were in their 20s mm-hmm. um uh and and you know that like i uh, picking any band at random uh i'll pick an echo and the bunny man because they're still around i i've heard a few of their more recent stuff but I listened to the band when I was a teenager and and they were a little bit older than me. And, and that's, that's the feeling, I guess, I go back to. There's a certain feeling that, uh, um, that young musicians, you know, when they're doing something for the first time, there's a certain energy that's just there. I'm, you know, I'm sure older musicians and older songwriters can write some great songs and whatnot, but I I even recognize there's something about the youth
0: (laughs) The energy of youth, yeah, indefinable thing, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's kind of it. it. It's it's like you know, it's exciting because because those are the first songs you write. They're the it's the first record you make, the first tour you do, all of that stuff, and it, it brings a lot more, um, a lot more of an energy and excitement to it.
1: Well, Tom and I have both been listening to a lot of the newer stuff recently because, like everyone else, you know, you you don't know about it so much, so you don't always find it but you know thanks to hooking up with you on new year's eve and, and knowing about what you've been up to i've had a chance to listen to it and you know maybe the world isn't going to hear it as much as they heard original northern pikes or grapes but tom and i have heard it we both love it so you know what there's there's at least three of us here that think that you're, you're writing great music still well thanks
2: I, I i like you know i like the last grapes album a lot i like the, the new pikes album a lot I, I think they're i think they're very good records and and really enjoyed playing the songs live, and but I, I do I do sort of get it that that you know you, you can't you can't go back and you know reinvent what you've already done.
1: All right, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time. It was uh, like I said, it was a pleasure getting to meet you. Uh, it, it's so nice to to hear the the story behind uh, such a great performer and songwriter as yourself. So thanks for doing this. My, My pleasure. pleasure. There is Kevin Kane from Grapes of Wrath. From Phono, from Northern Pikes. This guy, talk about keeping himself busy, Tom. From Kelowna. From Kelowna, B.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, great conversation with Kevin Kane. As soon as we uh, let you know when this video gets up, we will have links posted for it. Uh, the audio, obviously, will, will be around before the video. And as soon as we find out who our guest will be next week, uh, we will look at uh, preparing something so that you can join in and be part of the studio audience.
0: Beautiful. That work for you? Oh, I can't. I can't wait. You know what? I. I. It's probably not going to be a hundred percent smooth. Let's be realistic. But <laughs> if 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 everybody bears with us and lets us get through these glitches, what a really amazing opportunity to be
1: able. Well, to let's do it hear this uh, going out. Let's hear a little uh, new music from the Northern Pikes. This is King in His Castle. As we say farewell, there's Tom Fourth on Barry Davis. You've been listening to. Sessions. The king
3: in his castle, bossing the help around, screaming out the window at the peasants in the town. I'm the king. The king in his castle thinks they really love him. The people all just smile and wave, but they want a revolution. A leather suit looks good. She's tired of waiting for the king to be a good boy like he should, like he should. The queen in the castle wishes he'd shut up. I sit there nice and quiet, drink the poison in his cup. and Discovered something quite suspicious They traced it back to something that tasted quite delicious An isolated incident They said it was an accident May require surgery to fix this bloody mess